And so these last five weeks, we have spent time talking about some different topics. A lot of them overlap. Lust, greed, some of those things have overlapped. Today we're going to talk about envy. They overlap, but they're different as, as well. But it's all an effort to say, of God saying, my nature is different from your nature. And what does it mean for my nature to look like God's nature? And what do I have to do differently? What do I have to think differently? How does my heart have to change in that? So it's not checking a box. It's your heart actually being conformed to the image of Christ. And so this whole series, which is going to culminate next week, when pastor comes back and he'll serve up a literary feast on the subject of gluttony. So make sure you come back for that. That'll end it. But today we're going to dive into the topic and look at a couple different nuances of envy and jealousy. There was a recent New York Times um, article that talked about the rise of the summer sequel, talking about 14 major movie, 14 major studio movies that were out this summer that were sequels or remakes. And I'm a real fan of Aladdin. The original Aladdin came out a long time ago, about 30 years ago when I was just a tyke, and I was able to see it back then. But the, the other one came out now, and I love it, because um, there's this guy in there called Jafar. And Jafar is the guy with a parrot on his shoulder all the time. He's the grand vizier of Agrabah, and he's the most trusted advisor of the sultan. And the sultan, of course, has all the power. And the character Jafar is always after the power of the sultan. And he does all these nefarious things to, to get himself where the sultan is. And if you've seen the movie, oh, I don't want to wreck it if you haven't seen the movie because you might not have seen that 30 years ago. But he does all these things to kind of uh, make himself all powerful because he's envious of what the sultan has. He's also jealous of the relationship that Aladdin had with Jasmine. It's a great movie and, you know, of course, it's got a beautiful ending. But he does these things that start small and then in typical Disney, they get bigger and bigger. But as I thought about that, isn't that kind of the essence of when our sin nature just starts small? And if we can kind of adjust things and see things as they really are when they're small, it's easier to pull it out like a young weed. But once it really gets entrenched in our lives, it's harder to make adjustments because it sort of permeates our core, it permeates our nature. And so today as we talk about sort of envy and jealousy, there's a lot of overlap between those two words. But yet there's some shades of differences, and so we'll kind of go in both those directions today and kind of help unpack that word a little bit. But our culture tends to use jealousy more than envy. So it's kind of a common term, but there's really some differences. But both can be good, both can be, be evil, depending on my heart behind the intention. For instance, my father was a pastor and a preacher, and he talked a lot, and I heard him talk a lot. And I was always impressed as a young boy that his words were very measured. He was a calculated guy. I have the personality of my mother, not my father. I have the sort of undiagnosed, unchecked ADHD as a boy. And so I was not exactly a measured word kind of a guy. I was sort of a dump and stir. You know, just more is better. And I used to look at my dad and listen to my dad. And I thought, you know, I want to be like that guy. And so envy turned into sort of motivation or self-improvement or self-control or fill in the blank there. And so it's not all bad. It just depends on why you're involved in it, what you plan to do with it, where it's going. But the mention in the Bible is sin. They're both mentioned as a potential sin. So certainly there's a pothole to avoid. But it's also one of God's names. It says in Exodus 34, You must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. And so that word jealous, when used as a name of God, 
is an interesting twist that I want to try to tie in together as we unpack this subject. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you today for bringing the clarity of your word. Thank you for allowing us to see things revealed to us through your word. And we humble ourselves before you and say, Father, change us, conform us to your nature. Allow us to see in you what we need to long after. Thank you for being patient with us, God. In Christ's name, amen. So let's start with James uh, 3. We probably know the scripture. We've said it before. You might have read it before. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Sort of that selfishness, jealousy, envy, it all kind of weaves itself together. And we can see that, can't we, when it comes to kids. Uh, I have a couple grandkids, four and two, and I was out with them the other day, and they were, we were walking, and, and I did a couple things as we were talking. My oldest one tends to be incredibly envious of what the little one has. Has to be the leader, has to be number one, type A personality. And so I just made a few adjustments in our walk together, and the details don't matter. But just kind of watching how small children just can't rise above that. They just have to have what somebody else has. And we kind of laugh and smile, but it's not all that funny when it's part of us. Like, I am fairly envious and not proud to admit if somebody's got a really green lawn, because i got kind of this lawn thing going on, where I kind of like my lawn to look good. And if that lawn looks better, it's like, what's he doing different than me? So that's not all that good, you know, so I'm just kind of admitting my faults here. But we all have the propensity to do good. We all have the propensity to be evil. As, as uh, Tony Evans said, there's no good people, there's no bad people, there's just people. And so we're all created with the ability to strive for what we don't have. You know, I want what you have. I'm not content with what I have. I'm discontent, and which is one of the primary causes of envy is I'm discontent in my place in life, in my status in life, whatever it might be. And by inference, what I have is not enough, therefore I'm not happy. Um, maybe a young girl might say, if I had her looks, then I'd be popular and I'd be happy if I was popular. Or if I had your money, I could buy stuff, and if I could buy stuff, then I would be better off than I am now. If I had that spouse, which gets a little dicey, right? That spouse over there is better than my spouse, and so there's no end of that. I want whatever I don't have, I want whatever you have, I want, which can be certainly an overlap of greed, which we talked about several weeks ago, but it's the notion that I'm specifically targeting what you have. I'm saying, you know, I want that. But on a small scale or sort of in a, in a light-hearted way, it's fairly innocuous, uh, but when it becomes a lifestyle, when it's sort of this driving force in your life, like the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence or the other side of the street, or like the old Irma Bombeck said, the grass is always greener on the other side of the septic tank, but maybe it was, I don't know. But in my work in mental health, I get involved with a lot of people's lives, and so I get to see a lot of this played out in real life. I was with a woman the other day, a Christian woman who's totally bent on leaving her husband. And I was kind of trying to figure out what was going on here. And she's just observed that other marriages are better than hers. And so since other marriages are better than hers, it must be his fault. I'm checking out. I'm going to go get another one. And I knew this guy. I mean, he wasn't the shiniest spoon in the drawer, but he was a nice guy. He was, he was all right guy. But there was sort of this selfish ambition that was driving her, sort of envy running wild. And so that brings us to the old, uh, the old saying that comparison breeds discontent. When I'm comparing myself to anything else, 
it just sort of rises up in me that what I have is less valuable because I want that, not what I have. And I'm creating a sense of discontent by comparing myself with other people, other things. So discontent is one cause of envy. Certainly another cause of envy is the thought of being insecure. Insecure. I was with another couple that was uh, going through a little bit of a verbal dialogue, and, and this guy was like out of control with his comments about this event that he and his wife were at. My wife and I go to events all the time. She's talking to people. I'm talking to people. It's just kind of the way it works out. You know, just kind of work the crowd. And this guy was insanely jealous that his wife was ended up talking to some different people. And at the core of it, I thought, this guy's really insecure. Of course, he would, didn't really have ears to hear that. But the thought of, I can't handle what she's doing. I'm insanely jealous of who she's talking to. And so that insecurity can be another form of creating envy or creating jealousy. And certainly in the Old Testament, we've seen some examples of that. Um, thinking of the story of Joseph, the guy who was wearing the tricked-out coat that his father gave him. His brothers were pretty envious of that, and they thought maybe his father's love was greater for Joseph than it was for them. And so they did all kinds of nasty stuff to Joseph based on their insecurity. They weren't sure the father had the same relationship with them as he had with Joseph. Or think of Cain and Abel that was brought up last week in the subject of anger. That Cain feared that God accepted Abel's sacrifice as kind of an insecurity of, well, then what does God think of me? And obviously he did some very nasty things to kind of rectify that situation in his own mind. Or the, the prodigal son where the, the, the prodigal would come home and then the older son was really unhappy. It's not fair. I'm not, I'm not comfortable. It was just sort of this general unrest that he's getting more than I'm getting. And I didn't like that. And so he, he fortunately didn't kill him. But it was, a, it was another example of how this comparison, this desire, this jealousy can really wrap, a, wrap its arms around us. And it can become, in subtle ways, part of who we are. We don't even know that. And so the first step of any sin, of course, is just to admit it and say, yeah, that's me. And whether it's being you know, insecure or discontent or both or whatever, and then confess it and then sort of that's, that's the journey towards, uh, towards healing it. But we tend to, tend to walk in the same direction in which we're looking. So I would ask you, what direction are you looking? And I don't mean right now, because you're, you're looking at a man who deserves nothing, but has everything according to God's standards of supplying all my needs. But what are you looking at in your idle time? What are you looking at in your leisure time? So obviously where I'm heading to is where much of this goes is with social media. We have so much communication. It's so easy to to be tempted to look at somebody else's life and say that is different and therefore better than mine. And it's harder to be content with your life when you're constantly checking out the shiny highlight reel, which you see on social media, of someone else's life. But it's such a pervasive trend, and it's so easy to get sucked into it. But it just drips away at what you don't have because they have whatever it is that you don't have. And therefore, I'm not content. So what does it mean to be content in your current situation? Um, And then to kind of compare that with, is there anything wrong with continuous improvement, which means I'm not content? No, no, there's nothing wrong, actually a lot right with continuous improvement. Um, I I looked at my dad and I watched him speak and I said, I want to be like that. In a healthy way, I want to strive for that. I want to have a goal towards that. And I've worked hard to sort of measure my words as he did versus the dump and stir that was so common for me. 
So if you see something or if you, God puts something in your spirit that you say, I want to strive for that, that's all good. I mean, it, it might have come off the $12 billion Pinterest website, which tells you how to have a perfect wedding or something like that, and that may or may not be good, but it's okay to, to look forward, but at the same time, is it always in your spirit that I'm never satisfied and I'm never content? And only you can answer that. That's a personal choice. Um, there's certainly many verses in the Bible on the thought of being content. We'll just read one from Philippians 4. Paul was addressing the church in Philippi, and he said, you know, thanks for your prayers and your concerns, but I really wasn't in any need. And, and here's the actual words he said. He said, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. It doesn't matter what I've got. It's based on the peace that I have with what I have. He said, I've learned how to live in every situation, but I choose to be content. It's a choice at some point. It is a choice to be content. Another verse in Ecclesiastes, which is an interesting book, kind of a little bit of a downer book, like, you know, it's just all relative, but one of the verses in Ecclesiastes 1, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. Why? Because the writer said contentment is a choice. We can be content with our lives exactly as they are today because God has always promised to be with us which is the only answer for feeling insecure is God is with us. And how can you be insecure if you've really attached your life to the person of Jesus Christ? Not a box to check, but I've really attached my life to the person of Jesus Christ. When you really understand how God sees you, then how can I be insecure? How can I be discontent? But here's where it gets murky is how can I attach myself to a God whose very name is Jealous. Does that mean that God's insecure since he's jealous? Of course not, if you know who God is. But I'm going to read a couple quotes, and these are authors who can say it better than I did. And so I decided to capture a few of these because I want us to take a little segue from the pothole of envy and jealousy to sort of a God who is jealous. And what does that look like for us? So Carol Ruvolo, who is an author and a speaker, she Starts out with a verse from Exodus 20, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. And then she says this, jealousy is possessive and protective. It can be good or bad. God's jealousy, his possessiveness of his people is a good thing. It protects us for being plucked out of his hand. So the thought of jealousy being possessive and protective, you, you see that like in the jealous husband, possessive and protective, we say, ooh, that's not good. But when you think of God being possessive and protective, that's a whole different image, isn't it, of the word jealousy? He is possessive of us. He's protective. He wants us. It's like the one sheep that walks away from the 99. Wait, wait, no, come back here. Come back here. Come back here. I want you. So God's jealousy is possessive and protective. What a neat 
way of looking at that. And I never really fully understood that. I was always kind of curious with that. And maybe you were as well. What does that mean that God's a jealous God? John Piper has another quote on it. The jealousy of God for your undivided love and devotion will always have the last say. Whatever lures your affections away from God with deceptive attraction will come back to strip you bare and cut you in pieces. It's a horrifying thing to use your God-given life to commit adultery against the Almighty. But focus on these words. But for those of you who have been truly united to Christ and who keep your vows to forsake all others and cleave only to him and live for his honor, for you, the jealousy of God is great comfort and a great hope. If you've truly reunited yourself to Christ, the possessiveness, the protectiveness, the jealousy of God is super comforting. It's a super comforting thought when you think about it. Because my tendency to worship other things can lead me into idol worship. I can worship other gods, little g-gods. Whether it's a god of money or the god of possession or the god of ideal children or the god of the perfect whatever. It can get a hold of me. And it's that balance between continuous improvement and content where I am, but at the same time acknowledging the fact that if I, want really, if I really want true hope, it's only found in the person of Jesus Christ and knowing that what he has supplied is sufficient for me. And there's a peace in that. There's a hope in that. Read the last quote from a guy by the name of Sam Storms who is a pastor and also an author. Jealousy is central to the fundamental essence of who God is. Jealousy is at the core of God's identity as God. Jealousy is that defining characteristic or personality trait that makes God, God. Whatever other reason you may find in Scripture for worshiping and serving and loving God alone, and and there are many of them and they're all good, paramount among them, is the fact that our God burns with jealousy for the undivided allegiance and affection of his people. At the very core of his being and the center of his personality is an inextinguishable blaze of immeasurable love called jealousy. Isn't that beautiful? God's indistinguishable indistinguishable blaze of love for us out of his jealous desire to connect with us. So jealousy is good when it's one of the identifiers of God, the God of my creation. But jealousy and envy are destructive when they're subtly woven into the fabric of my life. So praise God for jealousy, his jealousy for us. And we can choose to be content and find security in his jealous love. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would decide in you what part of that applies to you and what is God challenging you to do differently as a result of maybe your discontentedness or your insecurity that caused you to sort of look over there and over there and if I just had, if I just, if I just, if I just, versus, you know what, God has given me everything and I'm deserving of nothing. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you today for the clarity of your scripture. And thank you for the, the stuff that confuses us. Like, you're a jealous God, but we shouldn't be jealous. And so, God, it causes us to just to press into you and find out what's the difference. And how do we worship your jealous nature toward us, and yet in us put a check for anything that's jealous or envious? God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. And we praise you for your perfection. And we thank you for your patience and allowing our nature to become your nature and our desire to become your desire for our lives. In Christ's name, amen.